Good morning, my friend. It is almost Christmas. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'm so excited and honored to be back with you again for some self-brain surgery. Today, we've got part two of the incredible conversations I had with Susie Larson earlier this year. We're going to talk about her unbelievable book, Fully Alive. This is one of the most important books I've ever read. One of only two books that ever made me stop my vehicle and write something down, as we discussed. And I think it'll make a difference in your life. If you haven't heard this before, this is an incredible conversation. And since it's Advent, and since we're looking for God, and since we're trying to figure out who He is and where He is, and He's coming, and we know He's coming, then I think talking to Susie Larson, one of the most Christ-filled people I've ever met, is appropriate for today. This book's going to help you become fully alive. This conversation, whether or not you read her book, uh, getting to know Susie a little bit is good for you. And uh, I'm just amazed at the way that she brings Christ into everything that she does. So we're going to get after it with part two of that episode. Merry Christmas. We love you and we're praying for you. We encourage you to reach out to the prayer wall if you've got something going on in your life and you want people all over the world to be praying for you. WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer. And we will be back tomorrow with more uh, for the folks that are struggling a little bit. We're going to bring you some stuff this weekend, too. And we pray that you have an amazing and peaceful Christmas. And if you're in the middle of something hard, we're praying for you. We love you. We're grateful for you. Let's talk to Susie Larson about how to become fully alive. And let's get after it. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place, Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. And I'm so excited to have another opportunity to speak to our friend Susie Larson's here with me today. Welcome back to the show, Susie. Such an honor to be with you. And I told you off the air that your podcast has made a massive difference in my brother's life. So thank you for the work that you and Lisa do so valiantly. Honored mm. to be back. So grateful and uh, grateful to be coming back to your show. We're sharing yeah. the stage a bit for uh, the summer. So I appreciate it. Your new book is just closer than your next breath has made such a difference for me. And I've heard so much mm -hmm. feedback from the listeners about the last time you were on the show. And I asked you if you had time to come back and talk about one of your previous books called Fully Alive. And I'm so thankful that you did that. I'm going to tell you a story about your book, Susie, in a second. But before we do that, is it okay to, if I say a prayer for you so folks can know you've been not feeling great and you're doing such good work. I think we ought to start with prayer for you. How about thank that? Thank you. I would love that so much. Thank okay. you. Father God, thank you so much for our friend Susie and, and the amazing kingdom work that she's doing with her life and her husband. And and I just ask you to put your hand on her and lift her up and heal her body and defeat this bacteria or virus mm -hmm. or whatever it is that's been troubling her. And thank you for giving her the stamina and strength to get through this interview and conversation today, Father. I just ask you to continue to open doors for her and break down barriers and get your yes. word out through her mouth and through her heart into the world like you've been doing for so long now. We're very grateful for her and we know you love her very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I want to tell you a story. Two different times in my life, they both happened this calendar year. I once was, I was on in my truck driving and the other time I was in my tractor mowing. We have 300 acres, so I have to mow a lot. 
Wow. I just hired somebody to help me with that. But so I was six months ago, I was reading, listening to the audio version of John Bevere's new book, The Awe of God. And I was driving down the road on my way to my friend's house. And John said something so profound that I stopped my truck and wrote it down. And it was this passage here about the fear of the Lord being a counselor in your life. And it's this passage that I think will resonate with you. It talks about how he says, if you look at today's society, we have great and intelligent men and women making decisions that are steering those they influence into ruin. At the same time, others are blind to their foolishness. And scripture states that in rejecting holy fear, their minds become dark and confused. And he says, when we firmly embrace holy fear, we have an ever-present, constant-flowing counselor of wisdom that gives us the ability to make enduring, beneficial decisions. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Wow. I stopped my truck and wrote that down. Yeah. He tells the story about that. And it reminded me of last time you and I talked about Sarah in the Old Testament and how we could be focused on her mistakes, but the New Testament focuses on her faith. And John talked about that story about King Abimelech, you know, Abraham lied about who Sarah was. And so he, Abimelech takes her as a wife and, and God protects him from, you know, sinning with her. And the reason he protected him is because Abimelech had the fear of the Lord and he believed in the Lord, even though he was the king of this other country. So, that long preamble to say this, that I'm listening to your book, Fully Alive on My Tractor, a few weeks ago, and you said this passage about when God says to cease striving, to be still, and know that I am God. And you said, for the first time in my life, I heard somebody say this, because I've always heard that passage and read that passage in the context of calming down and being quiet. And I think about it like I would talk to one of my kids when they're upset, like, hey, calm down. It's okay, buddy. It's going to be okay. But you pointed out that the the context in which David says that is God thundering through the chaos of battle. And I want you to talk about that because what you said was so profound, like that God's not whispering here. He's getting our attention in a mighty powerful way. So that's part one of what I want to talk about is like lead us through that concept of what's happening there when God is telling us to cease striving. I have holy goosebumps just as you're talking about it. But if you don't mind, I could let scripture speak for itself. Can I just read the passage? Because I too, you know, have read that be still and know that I'm God. I've got songs on my playlist that are subdued and calm and I've seen beautiful. I'm very visual. I love seeing outdoors, you know, and so I've seen scenic paintings in a serene setting with that verse. So that's always the context in which I've seen the verse until I read it one day and it was thundering off the page. And just, I want you friends to think of the chaos of the day that we're living in. And as even referring to John Bevere's quote, I had him on my show to talk about that book, but just people in power and the, the blind leading the blind at times, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos. Here we are, right here and now. Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. 
He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear, burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. When you put it in context, Lee, his voice is thundering over the chaos, over the wars, over the threats of powerful people in that and in that in fully alive. I did a a breakdown study because I was battling so much fear around the symptoms um, I was dealing with and cease striving. Let go means several things. See, striving and be still means to let go, sink down, relax, and in some cases, be quiet. Now, if you're hyper-responsible like you and I are, you know, we're not ones to just chill, you know, easy come, easy go, just see how it all works out. I don't wing anything in my life. I just, I don't. So that seems irresponsible to let go, to sink down, to relax. But I want you to think about the places where you're so restless. Maybe you're striving around finances or with a teenager or a young adult or in your marriage or in your weight. In the places of striving, there will always be soul unrest. And so those are the places where it takes more faith to let go than it does to engage, right? And so to let go, you're not just flinging it into the atmosphere. You're turning it over to God. Let go. And then you sink down into the Father's love. Because in Ephesians, it says to know this love is to be filled with the fullness of God. And so often in our soul unrest, we're thinking, I need that thing to be okay. I need this resolved with my son or my finances or my marriage or my job or you know, with the politicians or whatever, I'll be okay when these things are resolved. But it's to know this love is to be filled with the fullness of God. So you let go, you sink down, relax. Again, that seems irresponsible, but there's times when rest is literally an act of warfare. It's such an act of faith, right? And then I say, be quiet. And it says that in the original translation, but I, in my just interpretation and thoughts on that is when your own words are bearing witness against the promises of God because of your soul unrest, better to stop talking until you get your heart put right. And then, and know that he is God. That word it translates it to experience and encounter God in the very place of your soul unrest. So wow. when I started to see that passage in the full context and understood what that meant, it literally was an act of faith of moving into the rest of God and then letting him fight for you. And I think that's powerful. When you were talking about that, it, it occurred to me that most of my life, when I've been under stress, I press the gas harder, right? I, I dig in deeper. I, I fight harder. I strive more because I think I got to get through this time and then it's going to be okay after that. And I think that's exactly the message he's trying to give us is let me fight this battle. Like, let me take care of this for you. And you go on in that chapter to give us insights into Psalm 23 that I'd never heard before. And it just is a profound idea of when David says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I never really thought about what does that mean there? Give us a, give us that little context of the, the idea in most armies and most kingdoms is the king's going to throw a feast before you go off and get killed in war back in the safety of his palace, right? Right, exactly. And if you don't mind, if I could back up even a little bit more, because it was in that place. The reason I was telling that story was in the worst parts of this physical battle. And again, the symptoms, neurological symptoms, as you know, as a brain neurosurgeon, are terrifying. And so when these things, these fireworks are going off in my body, and at this point when I was writing Fully Alive, we didn't know, we they thought Lyme, but they thought this looks a little different than Lyme. It was a resurgence of Lyme, but it was other things as well. I... I was terrified. And, and there was times where God just seemed silent. I'm like, you got to give me something here. Give me strategy. And yeah. the three things he talked to me about, he just, I mean, they thundered in my soul. He says, you rest while I work. You feast while I fight. You wait to take flight. 
And so you rest while I work in the places of restlessness was Psalm 4610. Learn what that means. When you're restless, you rest and let me work for you. You feast while I fight. Well, that's Psalm 23, 6. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And yes, when soldiers would go out to war, they would feast because it would be a long time before they would have nourishment and some of them may die on the battlefield. And yet when you think of our battlefield, this that you prepare a table for me. I did a word study on that. And it's a king's table for private use by invitation only. So if you can picture yourself on a battlefield and, you know, when I'm speaking on this, I I tell women, you know, I want you to imagine you're in the gladiator pit, you know, where they used to throw Christians for sport and you've got these arch doors and over each arch door is there's your fears. It's abandonment, exposure, rejection, whatever your things are. You hearing the lions in the shadows and they're about to be unleashed and you, you see that enemy coming at you and he's got his eye on you and the fear is visceral because you're like, I'm outmanned. I'm outnumbered. I'm in such big trouble. But then you start to remember the authority that you have in Christ. You say no to rejection and that that cage drops down and the lion slinks back into the shadows, right? And you say no yeah. to abandonment. I'm not going to let my life be dictated by fear. And then you remember, and then there's this gate. I'm just painting a visual because it helps me so much. But you feel the warmth of God's presence and you turn, you see this glowing gate and you remember the scripture, open up the ancient gates and let the king of glory enter. And so you say, you know, you say no to these spheres, but you say yes to Jesus, come on to my battlefield and try to picture him with fire in his eyes, preparing a table for you on your battlefield. And that enemy suddenly sees that you're not alone. And he's, and that he yeah. gets smaller and more shriveled as he comes your way to the point where he turns and he cuts and he runs. Because when Jesus prepares a battle for you, a, a table for you on your battlefield, you're reminded that you are an heir of God. You are a child of God. There's not one battle that you'll face alone. And I, I just paint a picture of the fruit and the bread and the wine and all the, the abundance. You taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think in practical ways, when you're on the battlefield, the enemy wants you focusing on your fears and projecting your fear in a future that God's not in, which I got really good at until I decided that was destructive for me. But what he wants us to do is collect all these fears and If you haven't resolved some of your past trauma in light of God's love, it's like an open loop in your heart and in your mind and your brain. And it's easy, pray, for the enemy to accuse God with your story. And if those are open loops where you haven't resolved the goodness of God in those things, then the next temptation will be when you're stirred up to project your worst case scenario fears into a future that God's not in. But truly, as a, for a believer, there is no such future that God's not in. That scenario doesn't exist. It's the That's enemy right. who's threatened by your future. But you can take the bait so fast when you don't know what you have in Jesus. So I say that when you're on that battlefield, first of all, you need to take your authority and, and, and take authority over the spirit of fear because God's not, that's not from God. He's not given that to you. He's given you power, love and sound mind. So I say clear the battlefield of all the enemy junk so that you can discern clearly how to navigate this battle. And, and when you do that, first you shut the enemy up and then you taste and see that God is good. It's, you know, submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee. And then remember the ways that he's been faithful. Because when you suddenly recall your history with God, you'll understand that you have a future with him too. That's exactly right. We describe the the definition of hope or the component parts of hope in my new book as being memory, like remembering what's God done before. I'm not the first, this is not the first time I faced this fight. It's not the first time somebody's been in trouble and God came through. And you see it all through the Old Testament, people recounting, if the Lord hadn't been on our side when that happened, 
we'd really be hosed now. Yeah. You know, he just yep. constantly remembering and then moving. Pick up the fight because God's going before you. I love it. You know, this mm-hmm. month on on our podcast, we're talking about going, to get, getting this idea that what got you here, like whatever this place is in your life that you're stuck in or you're afraid of or whatever's happening that you haven't been able to navigate, what got you here won't get you there to the place that you feel like God's calling you. So what you just said, listen, friend, what Susie just said about resolving, if you haven't resolved these things from the past, then it's going to be really hard to move forward into the future with God. So Susie, what are some tools we can use to resolve some of that stuff that's that junk that's hurting us and holding us back in the past? I really believe that, you know, counselors, spiritual directors, trusted friends where they're safe, like Dr. Kurt Thompson says, people who say, I'm not leaving the room, that you can, you know, work these things through. And one of our old retired pastors used to say, don't freak out when you get stirred up because it's like something will happen that will poke at you. And I always say, I think I've said this in this book, but also my Strong in Battle book, that God will allow an overplayed enemy attack to position you for freedom. You know, he enemy is on a short leash and there are times where he'll... And the Lord will allow the enemy to mess with you and it'll stir you up. And the temptation is to numb out, shove it down, create a diversion, find a way out. But if, you know, my old retired pastor used to say, when you're stirred up, he said, don't freak out and don't get full of condemnation. It's really the Lord reaching into your soul, pulling that thing out, saying, see this? I'm about to deliver you from this thing. And I think we shouldn't fear those parts of our story because we serve a healer. We serve a God who loves us and he's so intent on our healing. And there's a study note in one of my Bibles, one of my several translations. This one's the New King James Version. And it says, salvation is God's rescue of the entire person. Healing is the complete repair of that person. And I want to share something. I I mean, if you were on my show, I would ask you this question anyway. So if I'm going to turn it around and ask you what you think about this, because I'm super curious what your thoughts are. But, you know, I went to back to a counselor friend of mine during this relapse eight years ago, just a handful of sessions because I was traumatized by it and I was hurt by God that he allowed it. And I just, I had to deal with some of that stuff, you know, yeah. and, and I'm, I was in the fitness world for, you know, 12 years. So I'm a fitness minded person. I, I love to work out and I'm, I just, I fight for it because I want to feel well and I want to show up and do life. So to have, lost. I mean, I had so much inflammation in my body. My muscles atrophied really fast. I was having word find issues. It was just devastating. I just felt like my life was, you know, shriveling. And this counselor friend of mine, she said, think back to the most recent memory of when you felt most alive, most fully alive, most yourself. And uh, this is before I wrote that book. And I said, oh, it's, you know, it was like, I think it was a month ago or whatever, but it was, I said, it was like a fluky day. I woke up and I had energy and I've been, had so much inflammation, so much neurological junk that I was exhausted. And I'm I'm a cyclist. I like to bike and I used to bike hard and fast and, you know, hold a good pace and all of that. I don't do that as much anymore. But anyway, I woke up feeling so well that I hopped on my bike and I don't know, I think I did 20 miles, but at a really good pace and it was sweaty. I like 90 degree heat. And so my, I had sweat in my eyes and I was riding through puddles. So I had dirt on my legs, which, you know, all that made me so happy. I had worship music in my ear and, I was like fully myself. And then after that, I went and floated in the lake and just worshiped. And it was a fluke. It it was just a fluke. And the enemy wanted me to say, feel like, you know, this was God pulling the football out, you know, pulling the rug out. Like, you know, you don't have this, but, you know, 
But what she was suggesting was that this is a taste of what restoration might look like. And as I sat with that, I thought these are some of the things that I've lost was just a clarity in my worship and the offering of being able to exercise and feel healthy and the rest I felt after. So I decided to try this on my radio show and I opened the phone lines and I said, tell me about your most recent or, or the memory that stands out to you when you felt most fully alive. And you can't believe what happened. One woman just sounded so broken and exhausted. And she said, well, the memory that's coming out to me is she said, when our family was cr- crammed in this tiny little car with no air conditioning, we were sweating, we were crushed together. And we drove to this cabin that had no air conditioning, but we were together and we played games. And I asked her more questions. And the things that she was lacking were adventure and her family unity. She had wow. moved far across the country. All she did was work and didn't get any kind of time with her family. So, and the Lord was showing her, this is a little bit of what your restoration is going to look like. Wow. Another woman called in and said that she had this, she's very shy, very conserved, you know, just didn't take very many risks. But when she went on a motorcycle ride with her husband, it was way out of character. And I said, what does that stir up in you? She says like, excitement and fear, but she said, I I don't take risks. I said, what is God saying? She's like, I think part of the restoration and healing of my soul is he's going to take me on an adventure of faith. And and I've kept in touch with her and that's what happened. All that to say, I feel like part of resolving some of your wounds and your hurts is to think, I just dare you. It's not a proven exercise, but it's so interesting as I try this with people and conferences as well. That if you were to look back at one of the moments when you felt most fully alive and then look at the places where you feel like you don't have that now, just bring it before the Lord to say, is this a picture of what restoration and healing? Is it an analogy or a metaphor for what you might want to do in my life? And it's proven true for me. He's restored so much of what I lost in those in that season of life. Wow. I'd love to know your thoughts. Well, that's a legitimate self-brain surgery technique, you know, the idea of what we call it in the neuroscience community, they call it directed neuroplasticity. So mm. you can take how God designed your brain, which is designed to heal. We, we we forget that and we allow inertia to make the new neurons that we make every day wire into the same old patterns and habits because we don't transform our mind. We don't take charge and let God transform us. And I think what you're describing is God's process by which we can make attach something he's done before or something he's showing us, a, a, a promise that he's trying to give us. And we can do that self-brain surgery to say, okay, it's been this way. I've been harmed. I've been hurt. I've been stuck. And God's given me a vision and I can focus my thinking on that new vision and God will help make that a reality. So I think mm-hmm. you're describing exactly how your brain's designed to work to make healing pathways happen in your brain. You know, Hebb's Law says that as you said, I think in one of your books, neurons that fire together, wire together. And it's exactly how we make new realities in our brains. And God does that in our spirit at the same time. He He whispers to us and says, hey, it, can, it doesn't have to be this way anymore, Susie. It can be yeah. a different way. You just have to think yep. on these things and you have to let me turn it into a reality in your life. I love it. I think it's so precious because it's like, you know, what brought me to to life when I p- thought of that memory wouldn't do that for everybody else, but he knows me and he knows how much those moments meant to me. And so after that, I, I found a picture of a woman who looks a lot like me. She had her bike helmet on and she's coming around a corner and I put under there stronger every day and I have it at my desk still now. I just, I just, I see the visual every day. And I just wonder if someone's listening today, if there was a moment, because I think if you frame your disappointments and even your blessings in an unredemptive narrative, I think you'll live I'll live that out, you know, and rather than seeing that as 
a gift from God and maybe a vision for the future of what restoration might look like, you write it off as the best days are behind me. And I just think, yes, these are trying times, but God is well able to restore our soul while the nations are in chaos. He's well able to restore our soul, our relationships, restore some kind of vitality to us. But if we're not looking for that, if we're not um, aspiring to what God might want to do in and through us, we won't contend for it, you know? Wow. That's exactly right. That's so powerful, Susie. Thank you for sharing that with us today. The Fully Alive book, like who, if somebody's not read it out there, like what's your aim with that book and who do you want to read it and what's it going to do for them? I would say it's an inner healing book. And one of the lines that the Lord gave me in my own battle was what happens in our soul happens in our cells. And it turns out I'm friends with some doctors and I'm glad to call you a friend as well. But I, I ran it by them and they said, it's exactly right. But it was just something the Lord spoke to my heart because I battled with so much fear with the unpredictability of the symptoms and past trauma, which I shared in a previous episode with you. And it was just, and I really believe that is why God allowed this second phase. I mean, when I've shared this part of my story, people have gotten offended with God. Like, why would he allow this? Well, there's a lot of suffering in the world. And I believe he allowed this to bring up, you know, the storms reveal the lives we believe and the truths we need. And I mentioned that in our last episode that, and that was really the prevailing message in Fully Alive is that when that stuff brings your stuff to the surface, it's an opportunity to get free. And though I'd done a lot of work because of the trauma and the sickness and all of that stuff, there was still embedded in my soul that lie, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. That was still alive and well. And so even though I'm a seasoned follower of Christ, I'm a serious follower of Christ, I'm not joking around. I mean, I want my life to count for eternity. To have that kind of in there left me so constantly vulnerable when the symptoms would surge because there was a little bit of a mistrust of God thinking, well, there's this wild card factor in my life that I have to endure everything I fear. And when the Lord thundered through and said, that's just not true. You know, I, I, it's not true that he can get to you anytime, anywhere. And you don't even know what I've prevented in your life and how I've provided. And that's where he said, I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And I, that's where I figured out the nerves that fire together, wire together in my own life. Yeah. Because my doctors were like, you have massive inflammation in your body. We're going to help you with that. You got to do something about the fear. And, you know, it should have been enough, Lee, that scripture says don't fear, but it wasn't enough because I viscerally felt so much fear. But when I learned neurologically that when I'm embracing fear, I literally am opening my physiology up to a cascade of inflammation. That's, That's what right. spoke to me. I, I, I hate to say it, but that is what spoke to me. And I thought, and I'm like, Lord, how do I do this? And he just gave me this picture of a road close sign to put on my fear pathway. And you obviously can explain this so much better, but in layman's terms, you know, for me to understand that every time I travel, you know, in fitness, I understand this because your body responds to the most consistent choices you make. So if you work out consistently, your body will help assist with burning fat and, you know, strengthening your muscle and recovering. And if you don't do that, your body will help you not do that, right? So I already know that our bodies are very, such amazing, fearfully wonderful, wonderfully made machines that adapt to our consistent choices. So it made a ton of sense to me that when I travel pathway of what if this leads to something worse? What if God doesn't come through for me? What if it went from a path in a cornfield to a super lane, four lane highway, because my <laughs> brain could get there so fast because yep. I spent so much time in fear. So to get the kind of visual of a road close sign, 
and and correct me if I've got this wrong, but as I understood it, that when you stop taking that neural, when you stop taking that pathway, your brain will delete that neural pathway after a while. If you just, it'll just, it'll shrivel or whatever happens, but you're not traveling that road anymore. Your brain doesn't really have a need for it. So I put a road close sign and I thought, I don't care if I feel so much fear, I'm not having it. I'm turning my back on it. And I came up with this redemptive statement, God is good, his promises are true, and he will always make a way for me. So every time my face would go numb, God is good, his promises are true. And I formed a new pathway. And so to this day, when my face goes numb, that's my instinctive thought. Oh, well, God is good, you know? And so I think for me, just understanding the physiology of it all, that there are consequences to the attitudes that I embrace, to how much I tolerate fear, and I wanted to live. I have stuff I want to do. And so that was the motivator for me to go, I'm going to reroute things in my brain. So all that to say, fully alive, it's learning to flourish mind, body, and spirit. It's an inner healing book. I talk about shame and selfishness and self-hatred and fear yep. and the physiological consequences of those things. And it's an invitation to heal and to trust God's love. Wow. Well, it's the first Susie Larson book that I read. And I read it because... You were so gracious and kind to have me back on your show when my new book came out. And I, you said something in that interview that, that reminded me or taught me that you knew something about neuroscience. And I started mm-hmm. looking at your old books and that seemed to be the one that, that may have the most kind of brain stuff in it. And I read it and it's aimed at women. There's no doubt. Gentlemen, if you're listening, Susie wrote that book with a woman's bent for women's Bible studies, but you need to read it, gentlemen, mm-hmm. because it will help you change your mind and just move past mm-hmm. the the female pronouns in that book because it's written for you too. And I love, I think I said that to you last time, I love that your new book is more t- sort of gender neutral, if you will, because mm-hmm. there's so many men that can learn from you, Susie. Wow. And I learned a lot from you. Just this morning, I said something to my podcast listeners that I think is relevant to what you just said. From a neuroscience perspective, what we're doing, what we're actively doing is what we're getting good at in our brains. And what you Love just it. said, when you're practicing fear, when you're rehearsing catastrophe, you are teaching your brain to develop circuits and pathways that will make you more manifest those neurotransmitters of, of fear and running and scared and hurting and hiding and all those things. And you're making it easier for yourself to become a warrior, become somebody trapped in that anxiety circuit. And so what you just taught us is exactly right. And it's exactly true from a neuroscience standpoint too. You can change the way that your brain works by deciding, I'm going to put a road close sign on this. I'm not going to think about that anymore. I'm going to let God replace it with something that's more true. That's beautiful. Susie, thank you for sharing that with us. Well, you shared that so eloquently, and it's, again, such an honor to have the conversation with you. And I, as a lay person, just who learns, you know, you've learned the hard way too. I mean, I feel like you've got the, you know, the blessing and the burden of having to walk through such intense suffering, but the intellect as well to explain to us what's going on in our brains. And so that's why I think your ministry is so powerful. As someone who's just, I feel like I was the poster child for fear and insecurity, and I, I never dreamed I could ever overcome some of those things. And as the Lord just started to show me in his word that when you attach a negative emotion to a painful experience and you leave it that way unchallenged, you're not bringing the gospel into your story. And he cares so much about our story. And I think if you just leave salvation to be a box that you check to secure your eternity, you're missing the complete point. And I don't remember if I said this the last time we were on together, but during one of the late night surges of scary symptoms, I didn't want to keep Kev up. I came down here and I was pacing the floor 
quoting scripture, doing deep breathing, and I, I felt like I was having repeated stroke symptoms. My heart was beating out of my chest. Oh. The numbing was going up into my neck and my jaw. My tongue was numb. The room was spinning. The, my ears were ringing at like a level 18, and the oh. pressure on my I had was like someone had a vice and was just, I had massive inflammation. So, and at one point, I, I think it was like four in the morning. I'd been walking the floor all night and I said, God, you have to either kill me or heal me because I, I can't keep doing this. Wow. And he whispered Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And most of you probably know 2, 8, 9, right? Ephesians, for by grace, we are saved through faith, not yeah. of ourselves as a gift of God, not a result of works. No one can boast some. I'm saying that fast. But anyway, I said, I don't mean to be sassy, but. I already know that verse and it's not helpful. <laughs> and I really didn't mean to be sassy, but I'm like, I'm, I'm dying here. You know, God, you got to give me something. Yep. And the Lord, I mean, I felt the fear of God and I wasn't being sassy. I was just being like, I, I, I don't know how that's helpful to me. And I know I'm saved, you know, and he pressed into my heart and he said, look it up. And so I did a deeper word search early in the morning. And for by grace, we are saved, as you well know, Lee, is sozo. And it means so much more. If you look up the original translation, what that means to be rescued, to be delivered, to be healed, to be made well, and to be saved from the penalties of judgment. And I think what's so important to know that salvation is this active process of rescuing, redeeming, healing, restoring. And we need healing over and over again. Because as my one of my friends says, life has a way of lifing you. And if you just pray the prayer, check the box, and you're not walking intimately with God as a healer and a defender, you are missing out on the potency of the gospel. And I don't think you can help anybody else heal if you're not right. allowing God to go after the, some of the stuff in your soul. And But when he starts to heal those places, you become a testament and a trophy of his grace. And that's wow. when people ask about the hope that's within you. If they don't see any hope on you, why are they going to ask about hope within you, right? You <laughs> wow. can talk all day long about stuff. But when God does something where it's like, let me tell you who I used to be. Let me tell you how I used to be. I mean, when people see you now who knew you when, and they go, there has to be a God in heaven. I knew her <laughs> that. I knew her. People just say that about me, right? And But it's all glory to God. I mean, because he takes broken people and broken things. Things and you know he makes them beautiful again and wow yeah I'm in awe of that Amen that's beautiful yeah. one last thing while I've got you Susie you in your writing and in your speaking and just in conversation with you you frequently reference things that God has said to you or revealed to you and and some of us are from a more uh, a background. I'll tell you mine. My background as a child was a really, I would say, fundamentalist almost a group. And we were taught that you hear from the Lord in the Word. You don't hear from the Word audibly. You don't hear from Him in your heart. You hear from Him on the printed page. And I've learned differently as I've grown up. I've heard from Him in different ways. But you and John Bevere, again, I will say, and Addison Bevere, his son, says to me all the time, God said this to me. How do you help someone learn to hear? This is a big question with not much time left. How do you help us learn to hear from God? And what do you have to say to somebody that says, Susie, I don't ever hear from God like that. I, what, what do you mean you, God told you this? How does that work? I love that question. And I pray we can take a few minutes because it feels really we important can. to answer it. First of all, I'm cautious of people who talk like that all the time. Like everything is thus saith the Lord because I have a healthy fear of God. But Jesus also does say, my sheep hear me. They know my voice. And so, and I didn't have... The context growing up, uh, I didn't have an evangelical context. I forged my faith reading my Bible under my bed sheet because I was part of a denomination where you weren't even allowed to read your Bible. You know, you had to leave it to 
the leader, so to speak. So, I, I mean, I knew nothing except that I'm reading God's word and asking him, make yourself real to me. I didn't have anybody tell me what I could or couldn't do in that regard. And that's when he would impress things on my heart. And I just learned to trust the voice of the Lord through peace, the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's like if, if I lacked peace, it was like, you know, scripture says, let peace rule and reign in your heart. Well, that translates, let peace be the umpire, like blow the whistle. If you're out of bounds, let peace be the umpire. All of a sudden you realize I don't have peace now. And so as a young believer, I've just paid a lot of attention to the peace of God or the lack of it. And there were just times there were impressions or little nudges. I've never heard his voice audibly either. But the more that I listened to his voice, the more clear it became because I'm in his word every day. And I think it's a highly dangerous proposition to say that you even hear from God at all if you don't know what his voice sounds like in the word. And one of my favorite stories is A.W. Tozer, who he was so curious. He's like, if God is no respecter of persons, how is it that some go on to do great things for God and overcome amazing hardships while others stay stuck in their stuff and never do anything for God? And he searched biblical history and contemporary history and found that these different differences were were as stark as could be. One was black, one was white, one was rich, one was poor. But the common denominator had something that he called spiritual receptivity. They cultivated a listening life. And when the Lord spoke, they did something about it. And so I would just say, get to know him by getting to know his word. Believe with all your heart that he does speak. And when you feel the slightest nudge, respond to the Lord, because I think it will bring an, a clarity to your voice, to, to your heart. And I think one of the ways you know it's God is it surprises you. It's like yeah. you think I'm not smart enough to come up with this. And I want to say one last thing about this listening prayer. Just at my events, I've done this at, I won't, I don't do it at large conferences, but at retreats where there's a more intimate setting where I have women open up to a, a journal page and I have them right at the top of the page. My precious child, I want you to know that I. And I qualify this. I'm like, we're about to, I'm going to put some music on. We're going to do a listening prayer. Just to be clear, you're not writing the Bible. The Bible's already been written. And if you hear God say, I want you to get the red Corvette. Really, I want you to have it. I mean, it's probably not him. (laughs) But I want to set the groundwork here that I really believe there are some things that the Lord wants to speak to you about. And if you do this as a practice, you should be in the Word every day, constantly, so you know what his voice sounds like. But I'm just asking you, would you try? Now, this was at one of those fundamental churches, Leap, and where the pastor did not allow the people to clap, to music. They didn't, they weren't even allowed to clap in worship because it might get out of hand. So they would hang like white knuckle grip to the chair in front of them. And it was, it was very, um, stiff, if I can say just, it was a, a stiff atmosphere. And I wondered what I was doing there truly, but I, the Lord called me and, but the women were ready. They were like looking like, okay, we're ready. Yeah. You can be quiet now. Cause we want to do this. But there was one girl looking at me, like giving me, she's shaking her head blatantly and her, she had slits in her eyes and I, she looked like she hated me. And I was ready to do the music and the Lord whispered, make one more prompt that everybody participate. So I said, I, I just really believe God has something to say to each and every one of you. So we put the music, I prayed, we put the music on and within 15, 20 seconds, that woman in this very conservative setting, was on the floor weeping and wailing, and her arms are flailing. And she's like, oh, God, oh, God. I mean, it was like the woman with the alabaster. It was so out of context in that setting. You know, it was so jarring. And I ran down to her, and I got another leader, and we whispered, what's going on? And she said that at 17, she was pregnant out of wedlock and her church leaders brought her before the board and said, you've done it. God will not speak to you for seven years. And they excommunicated her from the church. 
And she says, I'm only three and a half years in. And when you were talking about listening prayer, I hated you because I have three and a half more years to go. And she said, but then you made that prompt and you said, I just think God has something to say to each one of you. And she said, I put my pen to the paper and what she said, what just came out was that wasn't me. I love you. I miss you. And she fell on the floor and she was worshiping in the most expressive way that just made my knees buckle. And I feel like if you're not, if you're, I just disagree theologically with people who say he only speaks in his word. I just disagree because I've seen too much and I will never, I won't be able to make it voice. But I know myself enough to know that if I'm walking in the flesh, I'm not going to trust what my promptings are, but I'm walking in the spirit. I know the voice of God because it comes with peace and oftentimes correction and conviction. It's asking me to do something that's counter to my flesh. So I think start with believing that he does speak. You know, what about the scripture that says he confides in those who fear him? What about Jeremiah 33.3? Call on me, ask me, I will tell you things you do not know about times to come. You know, there's so many other passages that speak to a divine download from God himself. So I do take the stance that he does still speak today. I'm still cautious. You're not going to hear me say, Lee, I've got a word for you, and I know this is God. I mean, there's times where I'll say, I I get a sense of something. You take it, you test it. But this is a sense that I have as I was praying for you. I do that a lot because I pray for people a lot. So I know that's a big conversation maybe for another whole show, but that's where I land. So I I think you're exactly right. I read two books recently on the topic. One was Dallas Willard's Hearing God, which is powerful. Mm -hmm. And the other was Extraordinary Hearing by Greg Pruitt. I don't know if you've ever had Greg on your show. He's the founder of... Pioneer Bible translators has translated the Bible into multiple languages. And and his book is about learning to hear that. And he said, number one, God's word will never, his word Voice revealed will to never you will never contradict scripture, right? Yes. And number two, it almost always happens after you've spent extended periods of time in the word and in prayer. Yep. And most of the time it's on behalf of somebody else and not for your own personal mm-hmm. benefit. Mm, that's I think good. those are consistent with my experience too. Yeah. And Pete Grieg would be another one you want to look into. He's the founder. His group founded the Lectio 365 Bible app, which I think is phenomenal. But I've had him on and yeah. he, I think, is an expert on hearing the voice of God. And he also gives guidelines about he'll never, ever speak to you that's out of line with his word. And he does speak through other people sometimes. I mean, I feel like when I had you on the most recent time, I, if you listen to that show, I could almost not hold it together. God was speaking through you to me so profoundly. You could hear my voice crack and he does that. So I, I don't want to miss out on what he has to have a healthy fear of God that I'm not going to presume upon him. Right. And so I just want to be careful with that, but I know he still speaks. Amen. Susie Larson, it's always such a treat and a pleasure to have you on the show and I'm learning so much from you. I'm going to go back and read a lot of your other books and just grateful for you and your ministry and and your family and and praying for the complete healing and restoration for you. Thank you, sir. So good to be with you. God bless you. God bless you, friend. Have a great weekend. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold, and I narrated the audio books. Hey, 
The theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, Self Brain Surgery, every Sunday since 2014, helping people in all 50 states and 60-plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'll talk to you soon. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today.